To you it's just a game, for me it's all I know I make them remember my name before I have to go Losing, I can't fathom, that's a champion's passion Confidence never lacking, drop the beat, let's attack them They be checking for the content, you tired of that nonsense No gimmicks, break limits, quality is I promise This is more than a show, this is a way of life Cause the game as it grows, takes us to higher heights Check the stats before you check me And don't tell me who the greatest if you don't know the history Robert Ramon and Carlos the new big three and if the pins ain't from them don't bring them to me because i go off like a rocket launcher man i just ain't the beat i'm a real monster i can hear the crowd chanting mvp that's my mantra here's a standing on for the opinionated bench warmers Welcome to the Opinionated Benchwarmers Podcast, episode 154. Your Opinionated Benchwarmers are back to do what we do best, and that's discuss sports. I got my brother Ramon in here. It's just me and him holding it down today. Man, what's up, Ramon? How you feeling, brother? What's up? What's up, bro? Like you said, holding it down. Shout out to our boy Los uh, in his absence. We're going to hold it down for you in this episode, bro. Uh, but, you know, been a pretty good day. Uh, not anything too outlandish or too different from kind of the usual day um but uh been a lot of good stuff going on from a sports perspective especially obviously the different things that we got to talk about from an nfl stint um and sake so um that's kind of pretty much from my end at this point bro and i know we don't do it often enough i want to ask you man how are you doing <laughs> i'm good man Good, doing what I like to do, love to do, you know, here with you to discuss the sports topics, man, you know, get away from, uh, you know, the, the real world a little bit to have some fun. So, you know, we we getting straight to it, man. But, uh, you know, we coming off championship Sunday, uh, championship weekend, I should say. Uh, and we talked up, at least I did, you know, Lamar Jackson uh, and, you know, how he would perform and, and hoping and wishing that he was able to get the job done. But uh, ultimately they failed. I think they shot themselves in the foot more than anything against the Chiefs. But you can't do that against that bad man, Patrick Mahomes. And ultimately, you know, the uh, Chiefs will be advancing to the Super Bowl, man. But, you know, I, I'm interested. I'm in, uh, excited to get here all all week to get your thoughts on that game, man. Uh, what does it do for you uh, in your eyes on uh, Lamar Jackson's legacy? Yeah, so, I mean, when I look at it, you know, obviously leading into this game, I believe that across the board we kind of felt that Baltimore was the more complete team coming into this matchup and felt that they would uh, likely advance to the Super Bowl. Of course, we all had that little disclaimer. You always, when you deal with a guy with Patrick Mahomes, have to give the disclaimer that you can never count him out. But I think that ultimately, and getting straight to your question as it relates to Lamar Jackson, um, I think that once again, it allows you to have a little bit of those question marks that have surrounded him from a postseason standpoint. Um, do I think that it was, let's just say, an ultimate kind of choke job or something of that sort? I wouldn't characterize it at that and take it to that extent and level. But to me, when your defense holds uh, a guy like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs to 17 points and you are at home, uh, you have to do enough to get your team over the top. And so 10 points is not going to get it done. 
You know, I do know that obviously you were right there on the cusp of having a touchdown, uh, which obviously we know the fumble from Zay Flowers. So, you know, the offense was responsible for that drive and getting them down there. And Lamar is, you know, of course, partially responsible for that. But I think that once again, it just doesn't allow him to be in that place that we were ready to put him as far as potentially being the number two quarterback in the league. Obviously, whether he won or not, I mean, we still weren't going to place him ahead of Patrick Mahomes or even in the Mahomes tier. But I think it still just brings those question marks um, just from a playoff standpoint. I think the thing that I was maybe the most confused about was although he didn't finish with, you know, eight carries for 54 rushing yards, I felt that there were more opportunities that he could have gotten out of the pocket that he could have used his legs, um, and I didn't see him do that quite enough. So it wasn't, to me, an all-time just bad performance where I thought he just tanked and that he just really choked, uh, but I also thought that he could have been better. Yeah, I agree. I think you said it, right? It, You know, it was, it was last week, and, and when we talked about tears of quarterbacks, and when I say to you that it, it's just different, you know, this guy is different. And, you know, when you look at Patrick Mahomes in comparison to a Lamar Jackson, did Lamar Jackson lose? Did they lose that game because of Lamar? No. But did they win the game because of him? No. So when you're talking about t different tiers of, of st superstars and stars, they're born in the playoffs when it matters most. This was a game that Lamar really needed to do to establish himself. At this point, what is he, two and four in the playoffs? You look at that. And then you look at Patrick Mahomes with his sixth appearance in the Super Bowl. No, not six. Uh, six. Uh, so this will be his. Uh, Can't be six. It got to be four. This will be his. Four, fourth. Five, right? This fourth. will be his. I think fourth appearance. So six AFC championships. He lost AFC. one to Tom Brady and one to Joe Burrow. So this will be his fourth Super Bowl appearance. Fourth Super Bowl. So when you look at it, a fourth Super Bowl appearance, and Patrick been in the league for how long? Years, uh, I think this years. is his seventh year in Seven the league because I think he sat the first year behind Alex. Smith, right, right. I'm correct. And then as a starter, every year as a starter, he's at least been to the conference championship. Exactly. So, you know, as you know, like Ramon so eloquently spoke it, you know, that's the difference. And, you know, I think in a game like that, Lamar didn't do enough. Is it a choke job? No, but he had to play better. You know, and no excuses. You have to get your team to the to that point in order for you to be named with the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. So as it stands right now, Patrick Mahomes is alone the top. You know, it, it was clear before the game, but it's even more clear. It's just Lamar couldn't get over the hump. Now, Zay Flowers and, you know, the officiating in this game wasn't the best either. I felt as though there were a couple defensive holes that the Chiefs got away with. Um, I felt as though... Um, the Zay Flowers taunting, I understand the rule by the book, but at the same time, Kelsey had been taunting the whole game and nothing happened to him and he wasn't flagged. Uh, I, I felt as though, you know, as a ref in that game, you really have to decide whether you're going to, you know, affect the game or are you not? And I think that that was kind of a bit much to do, but then Zay Flowers got to be smarter than that. And Roquan has to be smart on that. Roquan got a, a, a very pivotal penalty for, you know, unnecessary roughness as well. Uh, to me, I thought that the Ravens as a whole team, they were just a little bit out of control emotionally. 
And that's the theme that I got throughout the whole game. And that's why you got the offsides, the false starts. They just seemed a little bit, their nerves were a little bit rattled to me. And I think that Zay Flowers, you know, that he costed them the game. You know, um, when you're trying to die for a, the touchdown with three players around you, let's call it what it is. That's a selfish play. And although I heard him say that one play doesn't define you, yes, it doesn't. But I would like to hear more, a little bit more accountability there as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Lamar, you know, that's that's what it is. I'm rooting for him, and I think he'll be back there, and I do think he's going to get a Super Bowl before he retires. But I think that we got a little bit more answer into the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, and we had a we got the answer of um, where Lamar is in, in his second order. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think that you definitely completely covered it. You covered my assessment as well as the Baltimore Ravens. You know, like you said, it just felt like, Maybe the moment was a little bit too big for them. And, you know, it just felt like as a team, they weren't just kind of settled enough, even kill enough. They just seemed like everything just got too big for them in the moment. And, and you know, what I still will caution is that, you know, we, we still never know with these things, man. Sometimes it seems like you will get another chance. It seems like you'll get another chance to get to the mountaintop, but it's never guaranteed. And ex you know, Barry Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Man. And when and when I look at it, you know, and, and even think about um what you got, Dan Marino. You know, Dan Marino would I think got there as a rookie or as a second year player. And everybody would think that, hey, he would get another chance and he never got back there again. Um, and so when you have these kind of situations where you have the kind of roster and you have the kind of coaching staff and you have all that. You got to take advantage of these moments. You know, I look at it from the standpoint of now we look at, at Baltimore not to get ahead, but now you lose Mike McDonald. You lose that defensive coordinator that led the basically number one defense that led the league, I think, in, in scoring, you know, in points given up and also led the league in sacks and led the league in also uh, takeaways. And so, you know, this won't be the same Baltimore Ravens team next year, you know. Um, and so I think you always have to capitalize on these kind of moments. And then you also look at the landscape. Patrick Mahomes is who he is. We think that Joe Burrow will be back, you know, healthy next year. Um, his dad said his rehab is going pretty well at this point. Um, and so you look at the ones, the weapons and the threats that are still out there that, you know, is it, no guarantee. And that's why you always have to capitalize on these kind of moments. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I think that's it for for the for the Ravens. And um, I thought that Odell, you know, when I look at his contract, $15 million, $13 million guaranteed that he got this year from the Ravens in, in retrospect, was it worth it? Uh no. <laughs> and no, 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 no shot. Yeah, we no love Odell. Oh, yeah, I mean, Odell is my if you guy. go back in our catalog, you will see us. I think at one point we was recording this podcast. We've been recording it for years. He was a top two receiver to us. Yeah. Um, but to shell out that amount of money, I don't think, you know, I think for Zay Flowers, the only one to show up, really. I didn't expect much out of Mark Andrews. But, um, yeah, Odell, I mean, he, you know, it's sad to see. But I, I think Odell will find his footing. But I think with the injuries that he had, it just takes it takes some time to, to get back in the swing of things. And, we saw flashes at some points of the season, uh, but I, I wonder if they regret that decision. But, um, yeah, moving on. I mean, I think that we got the next game here. Uh, a lot of a lot of 
uh, controversy around this game uh, with the Lions and the 49ers. Of course, we know the 49ers will advance. I feel like the Lions had every opportunity to win that game. But I guess the question here is how aggressive is too aggressive? Because I feel like Coach Dan Campbell feel like he playing mad and then you just go for it on, on fourth down every time. I thought of, um, the the fourth and three, I almost lost my mind on, on when they went for it. Uh, I think that was what, fourth and three, and yeah. they they didn't get it. I mean, that changes the game. Like you can't do that. Like you can't just you kick the field goal. Like I would, I know the guy was like eighty. That field goal was like eighty percent from their from their range. But I like my chances on eighty percent than going for it on fourth and three. At that point, they could have went up by ten. You know, at that point, you're just playing keep away. But you know, to go up twenty four to zero, oh, 24 to seven. seven. 24-7, and then, like, to lose the way they did, man, I'd be heartbroken as a Lions fan. Yeah, yeah, no, I think to, to answer your first question, you know, what is too aggressive? Uh, Dan Campbell, that's too aggressive. You know, I think that Dan Campbell has to understand that there's a difference between coaching in the regular season where you live to fight another game as opposed to coaching in the postseason where it is – it's one and done. You you lose a game, that's it for your season. And just as we were just talking about Baltimore and there being no guarantees that you get another shot at it, that you get to get back, that's the same thing with the Detroit Lions. This is a franchise that I think, as we stated before, had not won a playoff game or been in the playoffs or something of that sort since 1991. In 1991, neither one of us were born. So that just <laughs> lets you know, how much this organization has struggled for so many different years. And so you finally get to the point where you have a team that's positioned that really, you know, has a shot at at least getting to the Super Bowl or having a chance to win it all. And I think that honestly, as a coach, Dan Campbell, this is where your point to Zay Flowers about taking accountability. I think that Dan Campbell has to take accountability here and it can't just be, this is who I am. This is how I do things. This is okay. No, the way in which you did things, it directly cost your team. If Dan Campbell, to me, goes to try to take those points in both of those positions, especially the time when um, when I think they might have still been, I think they were down three and had a chance to tie the score or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. In the fourth and, quarter. It, yeah. Yeah, he, he did it twice. He did it in the second half. Uh, where the Lions had an opportunity to go up 24 to 14, could have went up by 17 points. He opted to go for it on fourth and two and didn't get it. 49ers uh, consequently went right down and scored right after. Um, and then, you know, it's like you said, and that, that, that you said a mouthful there. I mean, taking accountability and then as a coach, putting your, your job is to put your team in the best position to win. So think about this, right? Like you said, I mean, they fourth and two, you go for it, 24 to 14, opportunity to go up 27, uh, opportunity to go up 17. But then Gibbs fumbles, right? And now Gibbs can hold on to the ball, right? But though, that's why you don't play that aggressive because that fumble meant that much more than it happened because of the fact that you passed on points. Um, so it, I, I just didn't get it. I mean, even even seven minutes left to go in the game, and you did not take the field goal. Like, 
I, I, I don't understand it, man. I, you know, in this world of analytics and stuff like that, I think coaches are coaching themselves out of a lot of games. Um, uh, ex Brandon Staley coached himself right out, right out of a coaching position <laughs> with the Chargers. Right. But I mean, I, I think you have to be calculated. But I remember the days in football, Ramon, as you remember as well. It was, it was a huge deal for a coach to go for it on fourth and one. Yeah. Yet alone fourth and two and fourth and three. And now in today's game, you see that that guys are going. But uh, adversely, you see, you know, good coaches and well coached teams like the Chiefs. They don't take they take calculated risks when they go for it. It makes sense. And then you got Dan Campbell in there. And, you know, he didn't do that. So I, I agree with you, man. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I said, like, you said a mouthful. It's just I felt like Dan Campbell really, you know, he took that game away from his team. I, I felt like golf outside of um, outside of that second quarter throw uh, when he missed Gibbs for the touchdown. I felt like golf played pretty good. Um, you know, now, obviously, we know that golf's uh, passer rating and everything goes down when they was able to get pressure. So when Bosa was able to get there, you know, of course he, you know, was rushed. But for the most part, they was able to keep him clean, and he played a pretty good game. Um, I, I just think that that factor with Dan, I mean, I think I would put that on him this go around. Yeah, no, I agree with you. As your assessment of golf, I wanted to really say the same thing about him because honestly, even when you look at it, you know, not agreeing with Dan Campbell's cause, I can give him a little bit more of a pass on the earlier one where they had a chance to go up 17 to go up, I think, 27 to 10. Yeah. I can give him a little bit more of a pass on that because the play was actually there. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is golf made a really good throw right there. And Josh Reynolds just dropped the ball. Oh, man. Josh Reynolds, man. He Two had a huge tough drops. goal. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, I don't know how I could. Like, yeah. Josh Ronald had a pretty bad day at the ballpark. Yeah, bad <laughs> day. And then even Goff got one out there that Jamison Williams could have made a play on. That yeah, was a he touchdown did. that went through he his did. hands. He stopped running. Yeah. And so, yeah. to me, like you were saying, I think that Goff had a, a, a good game. I think that he played well. And you just look at some of the pieces that's around him. I think that Dan Campbell will be the number one culprit to me of the issues of why they lost josh reynolds to me gets second place because <laughs> even on that call even though we may not agree with dan campbell the play was there if josh reynolds just catches the ball he also like we talked about had that key pivotal third down drop um uh, where they still i think we're still maybe in the lead at that particular point and then of course obviously we got it to go third on the list as you mentioned the gibbs fumble was just it was huge at that point the Gibbs fumble was huge. Exactly. And now here we are, Ramon. I'm not excited about the this year. <laughs> oh man, I wanted to see I wanted to see Lamar in there so bad, man. Yeah. I wanted to see Lamar and the 49ers in there. Uh but nonetheless, uh we will have a Super Bowl episode. So we probably will we'll get into that next week. Um also I've got to do this, but you know, um as we as we have our Super Bowl episode, we also have the interview with Joel Rogers, as I talked about last week. Uh, he's a four-star safety recruit from LSU. Uh, he signed with LSU. They actually began practice last week. Um, but, you know, he, he sat down with us, gave us an opportunity to talk with him on some good stuff. So if you're an LSU fan or a football fan, a college football fan, uh, stay tuned for next episode. That's where we'll have a conversation 
uh, with Joel Robert Rogers again. He's a uh, the safety, four star safety, signed with LSU out of West Feliciana High School. So we was able to sit down with him. So you'll catch that on our podcast and make sure that you're subscribed. That's the way you can know when it comes out, uh, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Oh, but uh, since we're leaving Super Bowl alone, we got a little bit of NBA to get into. If you don't have anything else on Championship Sunday, I'll let you have the floor if you had anything, any other observations on, on the NFL side. Nah, nothing really else. You know, like you said, we'll say kind of everything that we got for the Super Bowl. We'll be able to talk Mahomes and all that good stuff then. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I did want to talk about Ben Johnson staying home. <laughs> I was like, man, Ben Johnson was like, man, he he a smart man. Because <laughs> either take a bad job, coaching job that's left, or stay where you at and horn your skills more, get paid more. And then, to, you know, catch the next coaching cycle. Yeah, no, 100%. Like you said, I think it's a smart move. And the thing is, with all those pieces that are still there, they still will have an upper echelon offense once again. So pretty much anything and any opportunity that he wants, even going forward, will still be around and there for him. And then you have Bill Belichick that there's reporting that it's more than likely he will miss this coaching cycle. He will not be hired. Is that a shocker to you? Somewhat, somewhat. Yes and no. I think the thing about it is no one really would think that someone of Bill Belichick's, you know, pedigree and his resume and all that would be left jobless. But in this day and age, man, people want a long term, you know, something that they can a coach that they can build with. You know, you look at some of the young coaches that are getting opportunities and Gerard Mayo having an opportunity, I think, at 37. Mike McDonald now, um, you know, sits at 36 as the youngest head coach. You know, we've seen kind of that youth movement go, and I think that people want kind of that young energy, that young vibe, and I think that there's maybe a feeling around the league right now that Bill Belichick doesn't resonate with this generation. You know, I think that they respect his football mind and things that he can do from that regard, but if he can't resonate with the players, then how good of a fit is he? So I say all of that to say there is a little bit of shock just for seeing Bill Belichick jobless, but then there's not the shock factor from the standpoint of I understand teams wanting to go in that youth movement, that direction, something that they can have for a sustained period of time. Yeah, I mean, for Atlanta to interview him twice, I mean, that was a slap in the face, but he humbled himself and did that and went through their process. And he still lost out on the job. But it's like you say, Ramon, I'm not going to repeat it. I think that NFL is going on this youth movement, which was started by Sean McVay and the Rams. So, um, you know, and we look at the 49ers in the, in there, you know, with a young coach. So uh, with Shanahan. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty – it takes you back. You know, it really – I really was took back that he wasn't being hired. I thought for sure he would be hired. But – we know Belichick's not done. He doesn't want to be done. He's so close. He's probably about a season and a half away from the most being the most winningest coach in NFL history. I think that's owned by Coach Shula right now. And I, you know, I think that he wants to get that record. So if you don't get it this year, man, it's hard to believe that he'll be able to get it next year. So we'll keep an eye out on that. But it's gonna be interesting to see if you know what happens with Belichick going forward. Um, um, I think the what we have like one more coaching spot open. I think the commanders are the yeah, only. Yeah, I think the yeah. commanders are the only one left. Yeah. Yep. So, um, 
So moving on to the NBA here, uh, a couple storylines here. Uh, I mean, first off, we want to start off with the, the biggest story, I think, is uh, Joel Embiid, right? Uh, had a, you know, pretty like a significant knee injury after Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga fell on his leg. Um, but, I mean, it, that's not the story, right? It, you know, two days before, you know, he 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 uh, was, was warming up, two games before he was warming up. Well, a game before he was warming up. No, two games before he was warming up. And then they called him. He was a late scratch. And then the second game, he didn't play. And then in this game, he attempted to play, and he's injured. Well, the thing is, is we know Joel Embiid averaging 35 points, I think 12 rebounds, and four or five assists, something around that nature. He's a true MVP candidate. He's my MVP candidate favorite. However, with the NBA implementing the 65-game rule for all accolades, such as Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, MVP, all of this has to go through, I mean, six man of the year, all that stuff has to, you have to play 65 games minimum to be eligible. Uh, well, with this knee injury, people are thinking that, you know, and B could be threatening not to get the MVP just because he's not able to stay healthy. Now we know his history, you know, he started off his NBA career, missed his first year, his rookie year, maybe year and a half in the league injured. So we know that there's a history of injuries with MB. That's the story. But, Mike, what I want to discuss is this 65-game rule. Are you still a fan of this? Because this is an example of what can happen because this rule is implemented. Or you think the NBA should reconsider this upcoming offseason? Um, I would say overall I lean more towards the side of not being a fan of the rule Um, just because, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, this Joel Embiid example comes up. But also, too, Tyrese Halliburton is finding himself in a similar situation. Uh, I think Tyrese Halliburton only has the opportunity to miss two more games this season or he'll be disqualified from any opportunities of any of the awards or any of the the all-NBA teams and different things of that sort. Um, so ultimately, I lean more on that side of, of not being a fan of the rule, especially, you know, sometimes you do have serious, legitimately – legitimate injuries that you just really can't avoid. And I don't think that somebody should not have an opportunity to win a season award or be on a season team uh, just because of something that may have been out of their control. I know I get the premise of it, that you're trying to prevent all of this um, low management and that type of stuff like that. I get that premise of it. But when you see situations of this sort, I lean more toward the side, towards the side of, you know, not having that, you know, in place. Yeah, I lean on the other side here, Ramon. I mean, with with low management and how guys are missing games, I, I think that whether you make the rule or not, you know, obviously you're going to be facing these types of situations uh, with Embiid. And it is unfortunate with Halle Burton, who's having a hell of a season, as well as Embiid, um, was having an amazing season as well. But I think that, you know, ultimately it's about the fans and we pay to play, see the player play. You know, you, you know how Kobe was. He said he told his wife, hey, you know, this may be the only opportunity that that I'm able to be seen by a fan to to, to play. And I want to be able to perform in front of them. Um, and I think that you are going to have some casualties with this rule. But I think overall, we look at it. You look we look at it over there in L.A. with the Clippers. You know how many games that Kawhi has been playing, you know. Paul George has been playing. So, you know, it's working, you know, and unfortunately, you know, like you said, no good, no good deed goes unpunished. Right. So it's always an, an adverse effect of it. But I like the adverse effect of Embiid 
you know, or Halliburton rather than a guy that's just sitting out games and not doing what they're paid to do. So that's why I say that. Yeah, you probably could have guessed that because you yeah, always yeah, talk, yeah. calling me the line on my yeah. <laughs> the man on this old man on this old line. man on the line. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, just shifting things though. You know, Anthony Anthony uh, Anthony Elwes was in the news. Well, we have Anthony Elwes here, the latest victim of some uh, some fines here. The funny part about it is that he said he don't care if he got fined. He ended up getting fined forty thousand dollars. Uh, recently after a game because he commented on the refs. Uh, we had a kind of a sideline conversation about it, Ramon, about these guys getting fines for speaking on the ref and their performance. Man, what did you think about that? Did you think it was warranted? Did you get a chance? Did you catch that one on league pass? I think it was against the Thunder, right? Yeah, so yeah, no, I didn't. It was the game against the Thunder, right? Yeah, it was the game against the Thunder. Yeah, yeah, because they were uh, battling the, you know, up top at the West where they are right now to try to, yeah. And uh, no, it it was definitely that game against the Thunder. And like you already alluded to, I mean, in the post game, he he said he was going to call it out. Like he was like, I know that the fine is going to come, but the officiating basically was was horrible. And um, you know, I I respect him for it, and I think that. I don't really like the position of the league totally on this um, as it relates to talking about the refs or calling out the refs and you automatically being fine. I believe it to me at this point, it's a moneymaker, honestly, for the league. It's a way for the league to get funds generated back in it to take kind of from players or from coaches. But I don't think that the, that the officials should be above reproach and above you being able to call them out, you know, whenever they aren't doing their job well. You know, I think that maybe if it gets to a level that they figure that something is egregiously said, but just mentioning that the officiating wasn't good and that they weren't up to par, I don't think that it's fair to get fined for something like that. You know, I feel like, I mean, if we take it down to us being in a nation where we're supposed to be able to have that freedom of speech, and I think that, you know, that they're suppressing that for players and coaches in these types of situations. So, long-winded answer to really get down to the gist of it and say, I don't agree with the process. I don't agree with him being fine, even though he knew it was coming. Yeah, you know, it was funny that he said he knew it was going to come, and then it was like $40,000. Those typical fines usually be like fifteen grand because he didn't say anything crazy, but I feel like because he said he knows he's going to get fined, right. they added on a little more to it. Um, and First of all, Anthony Edwards had a phenomenal game that night uh, against the Thunder, phenomenal game. Uh, again, I didn't catch the the. I do have league pass, but I think I was watching the Lakers that night. I had to be or uh, watching LA. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was watching LSU. Yeah. I was probably watching LSU, LSU girls. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think, like you said, I mean, players are are publicly um, held accountable. I think refs should be publicly held accountable to the same standard. You know, when they make a mistake. You know, what happens? Like, I, I love the NBA two-minute report, but, you know, what happens to the ref that missed that call? I think just like the players, you know, their fine and punishment is, is made public, I think the refs should have the same uh, treatment. Um, I, I think that the refs in the NBA, you know, I've been questionable, and I don't know what it, what is what. I mean, I I'm, I'm watch every Lakers game, and I still can't figure out what's a charge these days, what's a defensive foul these days. I can't. I really don't. I really can't tell you what 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 is a foul anymore. Um, 
you know, I, I am seeing a lot of discrepancies in the call and not just with my Lakers, but just across the league. Um, it just needs to be cleaned up. And, and it, it's, it's really frustrating to watch. Um, you know, I, I was watching the Lakers the other night and um, I think that was Vanderbilt that had a, an, an amazing dunk that didn't count because they called the foul. Um, or was it? It might have been Vandy. It, it was somebody. It was, it was somebody that, you know, but I'm like, the guy is still moving. How is this a charge? You know, last time. And then secondly, I don't know when this rule started. It, I, I thought in the NBA, if you dunk on somebody, it's always a defensive foul because that's what the league want to see is people getting dunked on. But in this case, the guy was still moving. They call an offensive foul and it didn't count. And you took, not only did you take away an amazing play, but you penalize the player, and I felt as though the defender still was moving. So I don't know what what's what anymore in the league. I just try to enjoy it. Um, it's not just the NBA, it's the NFL as well. You know, what what's the catch and what's not? You know, what's offensive hold, what's defensive holding, what's not? What's a pass interference call and what's not? So I think until these leagues, uh, you know, get some type of uniform, you know, approach to this, I, I, I think that it's pretty much unfathomable to find the players for being frustrated for that. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And it gets to even what you were saying, you know, offline as well, too. I mean, it's that kind of shut up and dribble mentality, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I think that, you know, ultimately, like you said, just the inconsistencies of things, even the way to me, let's just say even from an N NBA standpoint, how they enforce when they're going to tee somebody up or not, you know, we know that, you know, obviously he's had his suspension this year, but Draymond is a guy that have an endless leash. He can say whatever he wants to an official, but you get a guy like Max Struess. I don't know. Did you see that when he handed the ball over to the rim? No, nah, I didn't see that one. I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to drop that one in the uh, in the group. But it, like he he hands the ball over to the to the ref. He he kind of tosses it a little bit, but it's it's nothing that's egregious. And he gets teed up right there on the spot. And it's like. This isn't really even that serious. And now you as a ref, you're making this about you. And the show starts to become about you and not about the actual game. So um, with that being said, there's a lot of things, like you said, that need to be cleaned up. Um, but also, too, you know, I feel that if it's not going to an egregious point and if it hasn't been repetitive, you know, I don't think that people should be fined for calling out the refs. Now, if it gets to a deal where after every single game you – you have your MO as a player and you calling out officials every single time, then maybe a fine down the line. But just for a one-time kind of occurrence or something like that, no, no fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching the game last night and Vanderbilt clearly gets pushed in the back. And it's a common foul. Like, do you know how it's an unspoken rule? You do not touch a man when he in flight like that, you know, and you push the man from, from behind like that and nothing happens. And, of course, Vanderbilt gets thrown out the game, which I'm like, bro, like, you know, like, stop being so sensitive. Like, these refs are like, they, it's like their ego is is bruised so easily, man. It's, it's I don't know, it's, it's frustrating watching refereeing in the NBA so far this season. Um, But, yeah, man, I think we did it again. Um, I think uh, I appreciate all the listeners and everything for, for hanging with us and rocking with us for this long. Uh, make sure that you check us out next that episode next week. Uh, make sure you subscribe to podcast again. I, like I said, we'll be in, we'll have our conversation with Joel Rogers, um, four star safety signed with LSU. So he'll be going on. He's already started on campus early enrollee. So 
we're expecting him to make an impact uh, next season for our LSU Tigers. But it was it was great talking with him. Uh, it was a good good retrospective conversation. Uh, and the only way you can get that and get notified immediately is if you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform in which you get your podcast. Um, also, leave a review. And I'll be on be on the lookout for that conversation. You got anything to add on that conversation, Ramon? Nah, like you said, man, it was definitely a good, humble uh, young guy, man. Gave us a lot of good insight just on his mentality, uh, the way in which he approaches the game. Just a lot of good uh, insight that I think that the listeners will really kind of like to delve into. And, um, you know, I think that we had a good time with it. I think that we had a, a fun time with the interview uh, laid back interview, not uptight, anything of that sort. Uh, definitely flow with our typical style, but it's always good when you can get a guy, uh, a nice upstand, upstanding guy uh, like that that has a good head on his shoulders and really a bright future. So uh, be on the lookout definitely for that interview. Man, 100%. 100%, man. So we're going to get out of that. We're going to get out of here. And until next time, see you later. Later. <laughs>